On April 23rd, 2018, I published my very first episode on yoga podcast called Healing Trauma with Yoga. Three years later, we have raised over $25,000 thanks to you, the listeners, as well as the Lululemon Collective's partnership with Yoga Podcast. These funds are going to help develop trauma-informed practices such as yoga, but also dance and other creative arts like drawing, painting, writing, as well as working with partners in social services such as therapists and psychologists to help bring together a beautiful opportunity for those who need it the most. Free, free, free opportunities for those suffering from PTSD. This was the entire reason why I originally started Yoga Podcast. As a survivor of trauma, I have now become a bona fide thriver thanks to practices like yoga that helped me to make the mind body and spirit connection it has been my mission as a teacher of this beautiful philosophy we call yoga with its many many disciplines under this beautiful vast umbrella to help educate others to become students of this lifelong practice that will help them become more connected back to self. Now, yoga is such a beautiful healing modality, and I am so honored and grateful that it came into my life. But just like many of you, at the time that I started practicing yoga, I was not practicing yoga as a trauma-informed practice. I didn't even know I was suffering from trauma. I had many things that were buried deep, deep, deep within my subconscious, and it has taken me years to work on becoming who I know I am destined to be. So with all of that said, I know that practices such as yoga, as well as many other practices, therapies, and just being connected to myself on a spiritual level have really helped me to become a thriver, not just a survivor. However, there's so much work to do. There's many programs that need to be developed. There's more teachers that need to be educated and trained to become trauma-informed yoga teachers, as well as the work that we need to do on ourself. Many of us suffer from trauma. Rather, it is a big event that we can pinpoint or many, many, many events over a lifetime that have kept us from living our best lives. And although that sounds like a buzzword, it is really, truly something that I believe we are all entitled to. So I hope that today's episode, as well as The episodes that have been published in the past and are to be published in the future on Yoga Podcast will help us to continue to bridge the gap. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I am so honored that over three years ago, 
the mission and the vision that I had for Yoga Podcast is coming to fruition. I appreciate you all. Please do continue to go in peace, remembering that love is the highest vibration. Namaste. Hello. Hi, everyone. This is so exciting. We are on, I think this has been, what, our fifth or sixth chat? This one is a little bit different, though, because I am going to share today's chat with the yoga podcast listeners. So for all of you who are here with me live on the chat feed, and for those of you who will listen to this later, welcome, namaste. My name is Breezy Bree, and someone asked me a really good question, where did I get the name Breezy? So many moons ago, I had this mentor who I used to call Princess Di because she looked exactly like Princess Diana. And she started calling me Breezy because she said that it perfectly matched my attitude. So it stuck and I later was a cheerleader and people called me Bree Bree or Breezy Bree. And it just continued on throughout my dance life. I was always known as Breezy. So naturally, when I started yoga as being a huge part of my life as a teacher, I thought, you know what, I'm going to continue with my nickname Breezy because Truly, we like to go with the flow, but we also like to be very easy breezy, right? So um, it's a fun nickname. I love it personally. I know that it has a bunch of different connotations out there, um, which I've learned over the years, but this is what it represents to me. So super cool question. I'm also not going to say anyone's name today because I'm publishing this on Yoga Podcast, whereas normally I shout you out or I call you on your name. So I'm just going to literally go down the chat. Now, for those of you listening to Yoga Podcast, you're probably wondering, what is this live chat that Breezy's doing? So I have a group of students that I work with that... I do one-on-one yoga teacher sessions with, or yoga teacher student sessions, I should say. Um, These students have been a part of my all-inclusive, very awesome, amazing program where we've been working on lots of different things together. I selected this very intimate group of students about, I guess it's been about a year ago almost, where we began on this journey. So it's been really exciting. And I will share in the future what it was, the criteria, the different things that brought this group of students and myself together. But um, the reason why this isn't a public forum or I haven't tried to, let's say, quote unquote, offer or sell these classes, sessions, or groups to others, or started a Facebook group or any of that, is because the work that we've been doing has been very deep. It has been very sensitive. I wanted to make sure we didn't accidentally get any trolls in our group or 
you know, just lower vibrations, negative energy. I was very particular with the questionnaires that went out prior to selection, um, how I even found you amazing students that are in this group to begin with. Um, this is in part with some of the trauma-informed practices that I teach through yoga and dance and other creative endeavors such as sketching. We use coloring books. We utilize lots of different modalities to begin the healing process. And we also have students in this group that have come about through another training group that I did that was all about awakening the divine feminine. We did yoni cleansings. We did women empowerment. And although this group that's on this live right now is from these two groups come together, it isn't about um, anything other than this sacred space. So this is my sacred space group for yoga podcast listeners. All right. So now everyone's starting to come in. I, I got in about five minutes early from when my live chat group began. So I can see that everyone is starting to pile in. Welcome, welcome, everybody. For those of you who are just coming in, I'm recording today's live chat is going to also publish on yoga podcast for the listeners. So I will not be saying anyone's name today. Now, those who are part of the live chat can actually see my face. Those who are listening to yoga podcast can hear my voice. I am still trying to decide if I want to start doing these on YouTube. But again, for me, this is all about sacred space and unfortunately, the more public you allow a forum to be, rather it's YouTube, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, you know, Instagram Live, the less sacred the space is and the work that we've been working on for, you know, several months has been very important to why I am a yoga teacher. So wanted to go ahead and preference with all of that. Okay, so we have questions that are already coming in for yoga podcast listeners, the way that this live chat works is we come together every single week. My students are allowed to ask questions about some of the studies, the lessons, the teachings that we've been working on throughout the week. We typically have a weekly assignment. Rather, we're reading a book or we're reading an article or we are focusing on a meditation, whatever it may be. It has been really exciting for me to be able to guide the students through all of the weekly lessons. I am going to start sharing some of this on yoga podcasts as well as lovebreezybreeyoga.com. I just really wanted to go through a full cycle with these very beautiful humans first before I started to roll this out, um, just to make sure I was staying authentic to my teachings as well. Sometimes, I think it's human nature, we tend to perform unknowingly to the crowd and tend to only talk about things that we know are safe or approval um, oriented, you know, that are going to get the likes and the approvals and the positive feedback. But this original group, the sacred space group that is all here today on the live chat was really about them. And I didn't even bring it up or mention it in any public way until 
now. So that was really important for me. Okay, so some of the questions that are coming in is, what is the difference between levels of classes? Now that studios are opening back up, you might be seeing all levels, level one, level two, level three, and so on. I've talked about this on yoga podcasts in earlier episodes, especially beginner episodes. But this is a really good question because levels really does depend on what the studio and the teacher defines them as. There is not really some generic school of thought as to what this means as yoga in itself is a philosophy and the disciplines are very vast under this umbrella that we call yoga. Whether you're talking about hot yoga, hatha yoga, vinyasa yoga, you know, um, whether you're talking about a specialty such as Kundalini or Bikram or Ashtanga, all of that will really matter. So what you're going to want to do is check in with the studio, find out what they describe the classes as. Now, one thing that is a little bit more general is when yoga teachers or classes use the terminology all levels. What that is stating is that you may have people who are beginners all the way through advanced practitioners. Now, again, what we consider beginner and advanced may also vary. I know in asana practice, the postures and the poses, the studio classes that we're most familiar with. When we think of advanced, we think of people who can do balancing postures easily, handstands, who can fold their body into pretzels, who understand sequencing. But really, an advanced practitioner is someone who can sit still and focus on breath, who can meditate. So, you know, it's sort of wordplay, especially in Western society, as far as like modern age yoga is considered. But a beginner typically in this framework is someone who is very new to yoga. Okay. Not necessarily someone who's flexible or not, who can touch their toes or not, but really um, it's more of a mindset than a physical ability. So keep that in mind. It's always important to figure out what that studio is asking for. A question that is coming up on live today is, should we wear masks back to yoga? Oh my goodness. This is a question that I am not fit to truly answer, but I will do my best. I did have an episode on yoga podcast about masks and what the research and the science might suggest about wearing masks and breathing. And with yoga being really a breath discipline, it's it's really what yoga is, is pranayama. It's breath work. It's prana, that life force energy. Truly, in that respect, I am not for practicing in community if it requires wearing a mask. With that said... I'm not against it either. I think you have to do what's best for you. If you have chosen to become vaccinated, if the studio you're practicing in has requirements. Um, I just think that this is a personal decision at this point, especially, you know, a year into the pandemic. We have a lot more public opinion, a lot more science opinion, but we do not have enough of the facts and the truth. So you have to do what's best for you. Um, I personally miss practicing in community. I look forward to being a community as a student. I 
love practicing outdoors. I love going to community classes in parks and on beaches and on rooftops and things that have fresh air just because that's my preference anyway, pre-pandemics, but post-pandemic, it seems even more of a necessity for me personally. I do miss studio classes, but there's so many ways to practice in community. You can practice online in community, live classes, pre-recorded classes, audio classes that I offer in yoga podcasts. You can practice with a small group of people, one-on-one with a teacher in a private session. You can practice, you know, in a lot of different ways anyway. So you just have to find out what works best for you. Another question that just came in is, will adjustments be present in class post-pandemic? This is a really great question. Pre-pandemic, adjustments were becoming sort of a big deal as far as the hashtag MeToo movement, things that we were seeing in the Bikram yoga community, unfortunately, thanks to the leader of that community. Um, A lot that's was going on where people were feeling uncomfortable with adjustments, maybe improper and inappropriate adjustments. I'm on my balcony top and I love recording, you know, my classes outdoors, my podcast outdoors, these live chats outdoors, as my live chat people know. Downside, very noisy, very, very noisy. I am in a metropolis area. I wish I was somewhere deep in the forest or deep on an ocean side, but I'm not. So every now and then someone decides that it is really appropriate to go by um, at 100 miles an hour and revving all of their engines. And by the way, I'm recording this live chat with my sacred space students in the morning. It is Saturday morning. So um, <laughs> I digress, but as you can tell, it's sort of a bit of a pet peeve. Um, So pre-pandemic adjustments were very, um, I guess, like a touchy, pun intended, boom, 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 subject. Um, Post-pandemic, it's still going to be the same, if not even more touchier. So I do not expect um, physical adjustments to be present in larger community classes at all. Now, if you're with a one-on-one, a small class, a workshop environment, or you're in a class that the discipline is more inherent to physical adjustments, such as Ashtanga maybe, especially some of the um, more advanced Ashtanga classes, then I would expect adjustments. But if this is something you're looking for, then when you enter class, you can ask the teacher, the studio manager about it. There may be um, a policy post-pandemic that, adjustments are just not taking place in general. If this is something you don't want to have happen, then there are probably still protocols in place for classes that are operating with adjustments, such as cards, place your hand on your belly if you do not want adjustments, announcements at the beginning of the class. Now, keep in mind, adjustments are not just physical. They can be verbal. They can be instructional. So a teacher can tell you to put your hands on your hips, look for your hip bones, um, tilt your pelvis to 12 o'clock, tilt it to six o'clock, and then bring it back to what's neutral for your body. That's an adjustment. That's a verbal instructional adjustment. A teacher can also 
tell you to do that exact same thing, hands on hips, and come and adjust your elbows. So if your hands are on your hips and your elbows are splayed out to the side, your teacher can adjust your hips by putting their hands on your elbows and having you adjust your own hips. So not touching your hip area, which may be more sensitive than touching your elbows. This is especially important in teaching trauma-informed practices. However, most people who come to classes, especially in all levels, just regular, basic flow classes, for instance, there are going to be a percentage of those students that are sufferers or have trauma in their history that could get triggered just simply by a teacher touching the lower back, the hips, the neck, the feet, things of that nature. So as a teacher, it's really important to understand that your student may not classify themselves as trauma survivors or or even within trauma in their current existence until they're in a very vulnerable position where they feel out of control and a trigger comes up. So as a teacher for myself, I always try to be really mindful of that and try to adjust my students anyway from a place that would be more comfortable for them. I also try to use the verbal instruction, instructional physical um, sequence. So I always give a verbal um, instruction. And then I instruct them maybe in a way that's um, beyond verbal. So pointing, nodding, looking in a certain direction, um, mirroring by showing them what I would do to myself so that they can do it to them. And then when in doubt, then move to a physical adjustment. Okay, so there's the answer to that. Um, Give me just a second. There's so many comments coming in. I see some of you guys are talking to each other. Hi, I can't say your name because this is going to go on Yoga Podcast. But if you're telling me good morning, good morning to you. Hello. Okay, so this is a good question. If I cannot do a certain pose during class, what do I do? Do I stand on my mat or move to the back of the class? Okay, this is a great question. Thank you for the question. Um. You do not move off of your mat. Your mat is your sacred space. It is, you know, a place where you belong. It is a place where you have set your intention. You can um, always feel comfortable in that space, okay? No one should be coming onto your mat. You don't have to leave your mat unless you want to step off of it to ground your energy for a balancing posture or you need to go to the restroom or... You need to blow your nose. <laughs> you get the point, right? So no, you absolutely do not need to go to the back back of the class. There is no, the back of the class is for the students who are, you know, not in the know in the front of the class or for the students that are advanced. There, there's no hierarchy in that respect. And actually as a teacher, I have to be very mindful in my studio classes that students don't become territorial, you know, As many of you know, I am a pet lover, a dog lover, uh, I should say an animal lover. I really, I really kind of don't like the word pet, but I understand the need for it. Um, I am an animal, animal, animal lover. I love my pets, my, my family members that happen to be furry, four-legged furry friends. I've, um, I've had all the different types of animals 
live with me and I love the ones that do not live with me. So um, I said that because when you choose to bring animals into your home and you become responsible for them and their entire well-being, their food, their shelter, their structure, their discipline, their love, their affection, all of it is determinant on you providing them a safe, secure place to be. You realize that training is really important and you have to be mindful if they are starting to become territorial, even territorial with you as the human, right? Because that's what creates this inconsistency in their own lives. They become unbalanced. And what we learn in yoga about the chakras is it is important to check every single day, maybe even multiple times a day, at least two times a day, at least when you wake up and before you go to bed, how balanced do you feel in your chakras? Do you feel safe and secure? Do you feel like you understand who you are? Do you have an identity of self? Do you feel connected to that part from from a true place of sexuality? Not necessarily being sexual, but just who are you in that way? You know, your divine feminine, your divine masculine, do you feel connected to both of those sides of self. And then as you move up the chakra system, do you feel empowered? Do you feel that you can understand who you are from a place of perspective? You know, do you understand your truth? Do you feel compassion for self? Are you able to lend that compassion to others? Are you able to not only speak your own truth, but listen to the truth of others, even if it contradicts or conflicts with yours? That's important, especially in the political environment of today's age, maybe of all ages. And then do you feel like you can trust yourself, your judgment, your intuition? That's really, you know, I'm pausing there because that's really where we get lost. And sometimes we don't even know that we don't trust ourselves or intuition until it's too late. Do we feel connected to a higher power? You know, rather this is from a religious perspective, a spiritual perspective, do we feel that there's purpose beyond self? You know, do we really feel that selflessness of connecting with others' community? And do we feel this awareness, you know, this, this true, unexplainable, introspective awareness? And that's really what we're asking ourselves all of the time is through that. Now, I said all of that to answer this question because when I'm a teacher in studio class and I notice that people become really territorial, their mat has to be in a certain spot or they have to be by their friends, it's very juvenile because children do that, right? Uh, puppies do that. And it's our job to become more disciplined and trained to not do those things and to not permit those things. But it's hard because it must be mammal or animal nature, right? So when you are in studio class, it's really important that you feel safe and you feel secure and that whoever you are practicing with is truly able to honor that. If you're in a class where you do not feel that safety and security in that community, you do not feel aligned, you feel like you're not being yourself, you cannot be yourself, I would first invite you to not be a part of that class, that studio, 
um, because that's not really an adherence to the philosophy of yoga. That's also going to trigger you at some point and not lend to your introspective side of self, your intuitive side of self, and your healing side of self, okay? It will not help you to connect your mind, your body, and your spirit. Okay, so now let me answer the question. If you are not able to do a certain pose during class, the question is why? Are you having trouble breathing? Are you having um, trouble with a current injury, old injury, ailment? Is it discomfort in the body? So that's the first question I would ask myself. Am I feeling uncomfortable in pain? The reason being is because if the answer is yes to it being a physical reason that has to do with maybe an injury or ailment, you need to do an, an alternate posture, period. Um, rather, that is a more basic variation of that posture, right? Or you need a prop to help you into that posture. So a block, a blanket, a bolster, a strap, a wall, a chair, something of that nature, okay? Or you just are unable to do it because the body will not allow. That is a perfect opportunity for you to go into a resting posture such as child's pose or just take a completely different posture that is more suitable to your body. So first, I'm going to give you an example of that. If everyone in the class is doing, let's say, um, crow, okay, because that's more of an advanced, it's more of an intermediate, let's say, balancing posture. You can choose to try to do crow by utilizing blocks, for instance, or you can decide not to do crow at all and decide to go into downward facing dog, which is still a balancing posture. You can decide to do headstand because some people can do headstand and not do crow yet. You can decide to do any other balancing posture to stay in sequence of a balancing posture, like an arm balancing posture. Or you can decide to observe and support someone else in the class, someone who is learning how to do it or getting better at it. Or you can just observe someone who's really advanced at it. Or you can rest, relax, or decide to do something that's not an arm balancing posture at all. So if you want to work on opening up your hips more, you can go into bound angle pose or butterfly, or you can... Just do something completely different or rest, okay? If it's because you are having a hard time keeping up with the class, like you are running out of your breath, you are excessively thirsty, your mind is really busy, you're just not in the mood, you're really exhausted, there's a lot of reasons why you might have trouble doing a certain pose. Everyone's balancing on one leg and you just cannot balance. It's just not your day. You can just decide not to do it. If everyone's in warrior three, you can go into mountain pose or you can utilize a wall or you can go into, you know, a resting posture, especially if you're running out of breath. Because remember, no matter what the posture is, if you are having trouble breathing through the posture, then you are not doing the posture. You're not practicing yoga. Okay. So it's better to be in easy pose, just a seated posture half lotus, whatever is your fancy, and focus on breath. (sighs) 
You know what? Let's all take a moment and take a deep inhalation and exhale. <laughs> Lovely. Okay. So just breathe. Focus on breath. Always remember that that is the purpose of yoga. I have to remind you all, one of the most glorious things about being a yoga teacher is teaching a class and having that student in class that's so tuned in to self that no matter what we're doing, they are breathing. They are focused on their breath. Even if they are a few moments behind the rest of the class, they're really methodical about what they're doing. It is not a distraction to me as a teacher or to the other students, I promise. If you're that student who's really tuned in, okay? So I hope I answered that. Let me see if I answered that question the way that I want it to. Okay, I did. <laughs> also, I should point out really quickly, your teacher, depending on the discipline that you're in, should be giving you an alternate posture. So either they start you off slowly and lead you into a more advanced posture toward the end, or they give you a, an option. Unless, of course, you're in a discipline where that's just not the case, like Ashtanga, Bikram, and they are really focused on a sequence that's set up, then the truth be told, either you need a one-on-one -on -one private session with that teacher to find out what you can do instead of something, like instead of shoulder stand, what would be a good alternate posture. And also you need to feel comfortable in a class that has a set sequence to do something that someone else isn't doing. So it becomes... Um, a little bit more about the ego at that point, okay? All right. This is a great question, and I've talked about it on yoga podcasts. I've talked about it in some of the sacred circle um, classes that we've, or sacred circle sessions, sacred space sessions um, with all of you. Now, mind you, those who are in today's session, um, this live chat on Zoom, some of you do not come to all of the live chats. Some of you have been brought to this live chat from different channels, as I mentioned at the beginning. Um, I have two different groups here. I have one group that was more a part of my trauma-informed group, um, Sacred Space, and then I have another group that was a part of my um, Women's Empowerment, my Divine Feminine Sacred Circle Space. Um, so both sacred spaces, but for different purposes, um, who are here today in this live chat. So we have a pretty good group. Let me see how many we have here. We have 32, 32, yes, 32 um, practitioners present in today's chat. And I think between both groups, I had about 55, 56, um, give or take. So um, pretty good turnout for today. And I thought that this would be a really good one to publish later on Yoga Podcast because we've actually gone through, I think our first six were very structured. We were working on some book um, assignments, some very particular assignments. And um, now we're just doing live chats and it's, it's just a part of the membership that you all are a part of where 
for the next, um, I believe we have it on for the next six weeks or so where you can just show up and ask questions, whatever they may be. So we all know each other. We all feel very comfortable with each other. We don't feel like anyone's going to, you know, troll or, or anything. Um, a lot of what we're here for is, is mutual. So Thank you for that. And I'm saying all of that for the listeners, because if I do open this up, the sacred circle, sacred space um, in the future to the public um, without having all the vetting and the questionnaires and all of that that I did with these two groups over the last year, um, I just want you to get the vibration of what it was that I created with this group, these two groups. Okay, is it safe to do yoga um, while on your period, your menstrual, your moon cycle? I have talked about this on Yoga Podcast. Yes, it is absolutely safe. Um, And now the word safe means there isn't any scientific reason why you cannot practice while on your menstrual cycle. However, with that said, there may be um, spiritual reasons that we're not going to go into with today's question. Um, I did talk about that during the Sacred Circle group where we discussed, you know, what the meaning of the feminine moon cycle really can mean. And, and it's very esoteric, very spiritual. Um, but physically and scientifically, there is not any reason why you wouldn't want to practice yoga on your period. Actually, some relaxation yoga classes could be really beneficial while you are in your menstruation or even during ovulation phase, um, just depending on how you feel. Again, this is sort of like the mask question. This is a personal decision. If you have really horrible cramps, you have a headache, you're very lethargic, you just don't feel good, you probably are not going to want to practice asana. Doesn't mean you cannot practice breath work, which would be really beneficial for your body. Just focusing on pratyama. I actually think you should be practicing pratyama every single day. Anyway, legs up the wall could feel really relaxing to your body especially on your menstrual cycle. But you're going to want to pay attention to if you feel dehydrated, make sure you're extra hydrated. Make sure you do not feel dizzy. You know what I mean? Because that could be very dangerous, especially if you're practicing upside down postures, inversions, head below heart postures, including legs up the wall in some cases. So just be really mindful of your body. Always tune in to self. Check in with your own self. Ask yourself how you're feeling. Typically, the first or second day of your menstrual cycle, if you're more of a heavier bleeder, you might want to just take those days off and focus on breath work and focus on rest. If you're a light bleeder, your first and second day on your menstrual cycle, then that might be a perfect time for you to practice. Um, I know for me, I'm usually really light the first and second day. And then by the third and fourth day, I'm really heavy. And I'm definitely not in the mood to practice asana. Um, But this is a good time to journal, to focus on your own moon cycle, figure out where your moon cycle is with the moon, you know, um, reflect, plan, um, ask yourself what your goals are how you've done since your last cycle. How are you feeling? Are you feeling emotional? Is there anything you want to change in your life? Focus on what you're eating, your nutrition. Take a walk. Walking is so beneficial. Um, Could be the most beneficial thing you could ever do, 
even more beneficial than asana practice, I believe, is just walking. If you can walk every single day, it's probably the healthiest thing you can do for your mind and your body and your spirit connection. So that is my general answer to that question. Great question. Thank you for that. Next question. Um, I'm trying to keep track of the questions as they're coming in. Let's see. Okay, um, I'm seeing a couple of questions that I think I can answer all at once. Okay, some of you are asking questions about fitness, weight loss, uh, the physical part of yoga, all of that. Um, what else should you do other than just practicing yoga? These are great questions. So Again, I've talked about this on Yoga Podcast, the mind-muscle, I'm um, the mind-body connection, the uh, mind-muscle connection, um, different disciplines that really benefit your body from a physical perspective, as well as pairing with yoga, rather that's, like I mentioned, walking, but Pilates is a really, really good um, sister of yoga, but I am really, really a proponent of weightlifting. I think it's really important to do some variation of resistance training. It doesn't have to be just with iron, which is weights. It can be with um, resistance bands. You could be swimming against resistance. You could be running up a hill. Um, resistance training is really important, especially for the aging body. It builds the muscle that you need to protect your joints and your ligaments. Joints and ligaments do not replenish themselves. What you got is what you got. So it's really important that we protect them. And the best way to protect them is by building the muscle that surrounds them. Also, the muscle that's built around the spine, the back muscles are really important to protect the part of your body, your hips, your pelvic girdle, your pelvis, your knees, all of these are really important because when you start to have knee issues, hip issues, lower back issues, shoulder issues, for those of you who are sufferers from accidents, car accidents, um, horseback riding accidents, skiing accidents, uh, long-term effects of being an athlete, a runner, all of those things, um, you know when I say if you have an ailment in the lower back, the knees, um, the shoulders, those areas, it's it's really painful um, to live with those ailments and those injuries. So we definitely want to do what we can to protect our bodies and be proactive. If you already have an injury, we still want to get the benefits of protecting the muscle and, and building that muscle. So the best way to do that is resistance training. Lifting weights is one way to do that that I think is really easy for most people. You can utilize weight machines, which have their pros and cons. But if you are brand new to ever lifting weights, ever using iron, ever using resistance training, it's a good place to start. If you are starting for the first time and you have an older body, 
I don't mean that in spirit, but in literal age, in literal physical age. Let's say you've never lifted weights, you've never done resistance training, you've never really even been, you know, active, and you are, you know, older. This might be um, something you want to do with support. So, Machines give you support. You know, the gym machines give you support. Resistance bands give you support. Um, but there's some really good ways to do that. As I mentioned, Pilates has resistance training built into it. TRX has resistance training. You know, swimming has resistance training and is really healthy for the body. So those are really good ways to do that. As well as utilizing iron. So... Dumbbell training, barbell training, you can start really low, 5 pounds, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, um, just using the bar. Getting yourself a trainer is really important if you're going to utilize free weights. And just going a couple of times a week, um, kettlebell bell training, things of that nature. What I do not recommend for first-time beginners to resistance training is any type of CrossFit, you need to have built up your body proactively before getting into a sport like CrossFit, okay? So I know they're really popular and they're everywhere, but if you are not familiar with weightlifting, resistance training, do not make your first time doing CrossFit. More injuries occur in CrossFit um, for beginners than any other place. I really, really highly recommend, though, that you do add resistance training if you haven't gotten that vibe already. Also, keep in mind, yoga is a pushing modality. We push ourselves away from the earth. We do not pull anything off of the ground up to us or from above. We don't pull ourselves up. So it's really important to begin by doing some body weight training if you if you can. Or um, just really with good form, pulling things up off of the ground. You know, knowing how to squat properly to lift something up like a milk jug up. Or how to hang your body from a pull-up bar. And just hang, allow the gravity to take place. Um, and then learning how to do supported pull-ups and that sort of thing. Um, but again, I would really get into a class that has an instructor that can teach you form, that can check on you, make sure you're doing it right, or get personal training. But this is definitely something that should be complementing your practice. Now, to better answer this question directly, yoga can definitely lend to giving you a more healthier, a more powerful, a more muscular physique, okay? But it really does depend on which discipline of yoga you're practicing as well as your current fitness level. So if you have literally never done anything and you start practicing yoga asana, you're going to lose weight, you're going to tone up your muscles, you're going to become stronger, you're going to be able to hold a plank for longer because your body will get stronger doing a just about anything. It has never done anything, so it'll get strong doing anything. It'll get strong walking up a hill every single day. The more athletic your body is and the more you have a foundation, muscle memory, 
the less yoga is going to be able to make these more grandiose improvements. It will be able to maintain your physique, but you will not see yourself, you know, for instance, becoming like a fitness model or bodybuilder by practicing yoga only, okay? So if you're really fit, if you're already really um, healthy, if you've already been working out or an athlete or whatever for a long time before practicing yoga, you may not notice huge physique changes. However, I say all of that, but I can attest personally that I've been very physically active my entire life. And when I started practicing Ashtanga, it completely changed my body. It sculpted my body in a whole different way. Now, part of that is because it's very rigorous. I was practicing five to six days a week for an hour and a half a day. I mean, anything you do that intensive, um, intensively is going to have an effect. I also was eating very differently, getting more sleep um, because, again, you're massaging the organs in your body through yoga. You're twisting and turning and it tends to lend itself to your lifestyle off of the mat as well. You're drinking more water. You are taking more walks. You're thinking more positively. You're getting more rest. You're eliminating drama, which really does hold on to fluids in the body, weight in the body. Trauma and drama shows up in our body and our ecosystem of ourselves. You better believe it. Um, so all of it, it, it's it's like it's hard to know scientifically was it the ashtanga yoga classes or was it the lifestyle and i'm going to have to say it was probably the lifestyle so um the answer to that is yes but <laughs> definitely um do not just practice yoga because it will make you look good practice yoga because it will make you feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. You radiate different, you glow different, you vibrate different. I've seen people who quote unquote are overweight. They glow so beautifully that they're healthier. Their cells and their body is, I'm sure, healthier than the most fit, the most thin, the most muscular, whatever person with a bad attitude any day of the week. Um, I don't think our cells truly know the difference um, if we are looking good in a mirror, if we don't feel good about ourselves, if we don't think good thoughts about ourselves. I do not mean toxic positivity. I know that that's a buzzword right now. Um, but truthfully, you know, it's what you say to yourself, how you feel about yourself that really matters. And if you need to become a minimalist in your life by minimalizing people, social media, habits, um, situations to get you there, then that's what you should do, okay? Here's a good question. I have sweaty feet. Um, should I practice or should I wear socks when I'm practicing yoga? Okay, this is a good question. Um, first thing I would want to know is do you just have sweaty feet in general? Like it doesn't matter. You could be wearing flip-flops. You could be barefoot. You could be in tennis shoes. Um, high heels, boots, <laughs> doesn't matter, rain, shine, whatever the season, you just tend to sweat in your feet. Um, and you know that you don't have a, a health reason. You've been completely checked out by your healthcare medical professional. You know that this is just something about you. Okay. 
So it's really important to go through all of that first because you want to make sure that there's not an underlining issue happening in the body that makes you sweat out through the feet, okay? Um, that there's not something going on with the glands. The feet have more bones, more energy centers than anywhere else in the body, okay? So um, in Chinese medicine, the feet are a really huge point of understanding what's happening in the body. There's pressure points, there's massage points, there's, like I said, energy systems, energy centers in the feet. So please, whatever's going on in your feet, you have sore feet, hurt feet, achy feet, sweaty feet, um, pay attention, okay? So now that you've created a area to begin and ask yourself some deeper questions, I have a whole entire episode on yoga podcasts about yoga and feet. Um, why we even practice barefoot is really important as well. But listen to that episode. Um, I know who you are, Miss Awesome, who asked this question. Um, because I want to make sure that you decipher what your issue is with your feet. Okay, but if it's just something you've always dealt with since you were a kid or whatever, um, if socks or yoga-specific socks, you know, the socks where the toes are separated or they even come out and they're barefoot, barefoot toes but not barefoot feet or whatever, um, if that makes your practice better, you can feel more grounded, you're not slipping around on your mat, then yes, absolutely wear um, socks. I would wear yoga-specific socks just so you're not creating um, even more issues by wearing regular socks or overheating the body or anything like that. If you're practicing in hot yoga, um, then you might want to consider not practicing hot yoga. I love hot yoga. Um, I have nothing real personal against hot yoga. I have an episode on yoga podcast about hot yoga and some of the cons to beginner practitioners because hot yoga does mask some body awareness and the ability to utilize prana, pratyama, and um, bandhas to heat up your body, which is really important. But at the same time, I understand the fun and um, the what feels and seems like detoxing effects of hot yoga although science is out on if hot yoga really does detoxify the body more than it does just um, dehydrate the body, so to speak. But although dehydrating the body can sometimes be beneficial, you know, like being in a steam room or being in a sauna. So I'm for it for many reasons. Um, but if you're brand, brand spanking new to yoga, or if you want to learn more about bandhas and utilizing pratyama and how to create heat within your own body, um, utilizing your own energy systems, taking your level of practice to the highest vibration, um, then you might want to start seeking outside of just practicing hot yoga. I love hot yoga, but I don't just practice hot yoga. And I think that's really important. I also want to go off a bit on a tangent here. I don't think it's ever good to just practice any type of anything, right? So just ashtanga or just relaxation or just kundalini or just studio practice or just indoors. I mean, if you can rotate and evolve your practice as often as possible, try to do that. You know, sometimes we do get 
into a focus like Ashtanga or Kundalini. And I think that's beautiful. But definitely get some one-on-ones, do some audio only, do some community, do some outdoors. Try to do a little bit of everything so that you can figure out how you respond. Sometimes we don't even know how we respond to something until we try it. I would have never thought about practicing audio only yoga until I started practicing audio only yoga and I fell in love with it to the point where I personally know that I could be hosting video classes like on YouTube or whatever platform and probably be really really successful at that for a lot of really surface reasons but I know the power audio yoga, audio guided yoga. I think audio guided yoga is the most underrated, underused yoga. You are literally being guided by a teacher's voice. So the sequencing is planned and happening. There's modifications that are being offered. But here's the difference. You have to discern what feels good in your own body. You're literally not able to see And compare yourself, judge yourself, or choose to not push yourself in a good way, of course. You are looking at someone else do something and it's becoming more of an entertainment than it is a practice. Instead, you're listening to a voice guide you. And I have some really advanced classes on on yoga podcasts where I am literally just guiding you but you are really challenged to do what's best for your body versus watching someone else and just mimicking, which is good sometimes, right? It's like kindergarten versus college. Um, But again, I have nothing against videos, Zoom classes, um, you know, YouTube classes, in-person classes. I do them all. I practice them all. I teach them all. But please do not underestimate the power of audio. Even the power, if you're a yoga teacher, I know I have a a few yoga teachers in this group, in this community. Try to record yourself doing audio and taking your own class. If you're a student and you've learned sequencing, record your own class with your own voice and guide yourself. It's it's truly eye-opening And it's really a newer, deeper level of introspection. Okay, so yes, you can practice with socks. (laughs) Okay, next question. Okay, we already answered that one. We answered something similar. You know what? I'm still going to talk about this. I'm really overweight. Can I still do yoga? Yes, 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 yes. Um. Yoga will always meet you on the mat. My last rant and tangent on audio classes, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Overweight is something that is personally defined, right? I feel overweight when I fill in the blank, right? For me, what's overweight may not even be CDC standards or... uh, you know, a dietitian's standards. Um, what's overweight to you is is a personal thing. So I don't want to get into the semantics and politics of of that. However, if you are truly overweight to where you cannot, like, 
you know, do certain postures or do any postures even. Um, I've worked in one-on-one private sessions with someone who was probably morbidly, mor- morbidly, morbidably, morbidly. Oh my goodness, you guys. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Oh man. Okay. Um, who was really overweight and she hired me to do one-on-one sessions. We worked together for over a year. Oh my gosh. I, I love this woman. And she would not come to a studio class. Um, she only wanted to do one-on-one. I recorded some audio classes just for her, which is a part of my private session packages that I offer live and in person. Um, and she eventually started coming to studio classes when she was comfortable. She had a tough time. She couldn't transition from standing to seated. Once she was seated, she was seated. So we did um, sessions that were really based on that type of, uh, that part of the sequence. So if we were standing, we were only standing the entire class. If we were doing chair yoga, we were doing chair yoga. If we were utilizing a wall as a prop, we were utilizing a wall as a prop. If we were seated, we were seated. So um, eventually she was able to start transitioning but for a really long time, she couldn't. And just know that this is not something that is abnormal to a yoga teacher. You should absolutely work with a teacher one-on-one. Rather, it's a yoga teacher who specializes in working with um, chair yoga, for instance, which I think is really, really important for many students who cannot move their body, not just because they are overweight, but because they have an ailment, an injury. Um, I've worked with athletes, football players, who could only do chair yoga while they were recovering. I actually had a student who was a gymnast, and he was in a boot. Um, He had, I don't think he had broken his ankle, but he had like bursitis or something. And he could only do chair yoga, but he wanted to do yoga to get his body back. It was like his rehab. Um, So whatever the reason is, work with a yoga teacher who specializes in chair yoga or prop-based yoga in in general, Um, which most yoga teachers should, but not all yoga teachers do, okay? Um, Even a trauma-informed yoga teacher who isn't, just about verbal cues, um, utilizing trauma-informed practices like yoga, but also knows how to adjust the body that way because that tends to work also really well for students who are suffering from an ailment or an injury. I know for me, I'm a yoga-informed teacher, but I also teach cancer patients. I teach gymnasts. I teach um, rehab. I'm a yoga therapist. It all sort of is on the same spectrum. What separates trauma-informed yoga from the others is really um, how we utilize verbiage. um, And some postures are just off limits, um, such as happy baby, for instance. Um, Maybe we will not even invite students to ever close their eyes, okay? Um, And we might utilize blankets a lot more. So when you are in a posture, you could just put a blanket over your body. Um, So it really just depends on what the trauma is. If I'm working with like my rape crisis, um, those who who have been raped, I guess, essentially. 
uh, versus maybe the military, the different types of trauma. So not trying to veer off too much, but just giving you a general idea. So if you are very overweight and you feel that you cannot transition your body from standing to sitting, and that would be what I would consider to be um, the biggest issue in practicing yoga for most students is that they don't feel that they can stand up, sit down, um, be on their knees, hold a plank, things of that nature. Just go to a one-on-one session with a teacher, let them guide you. Um, it will feel very similar to a physical therapy type session. Um, you might utilize a lot more straps and props and chairs and walls, and you will take it very, very slow. Outside of practicing yoga, just start walking if you can walk. If you cannot walk, but you can get into a pool of water, that would be another good decision. Hire a personal trainer, maybe one that is versed in all of what I just said, who can go on walks with you, get you in a pool, get you on the yoga mat, maybe even into some um, Pilates. Not mat Pilates, but the reformer Pilates. There are really masterful personal trainers that can do all of the above. So um, that's where I would begin. And I think that within six months to a year, you will see a huge change in what your body can do physically. Journaling, working with the moon cycles that can start to bring in that mental and spiritual connection. Um, Also doing talk therapy or any other type of psychotherapy can really work on that emotional side. And then, of course, um, just bringing that all together with utilizing all the different variations of people from a nutritionist, a dietitian, registered dietitian um, might be what you should look for, but Whoever you resonate with, if you resonate with an Ayurvedic specialist, if you resonate with a Chinese medicine specialist, um, add a full wellness plan, invest in your life and set your goal for 12 months and then let it allow itself to turn into a lifetime. So we are just now coming up on an hour. We talked about so much. Let me see if we have any other questions that I didn't. That's why I go off on my tangents because I think it can start to answer multiple questions and then I'm not just answering questions one by one robotically. Um, It's just my style of teaching. Let's see. Uh, I'm just looking at some of the other questions. Wow, some of the other questions actually were answered through the other answers, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm going to answer this last question before we leave. Do I have to om at the end of class with everyone else? You do not have to do anything you don't want to do ever, rather on the mat, off the mat, in your life. I know for many people, especially people who have suffered from trauma, have forgotten that they have their own autonomy, okay? Um, Outside of what your boss is requiring, a part of your job responsibilities and duties that you've agreed to, your teacher um, in class, that is a part of the syllabus, things that make total sense to what it is that you're a part of as an employee, a student, things of that nature. Uh, You know, if you have a parent who is telling you to clean your room, you know, 
just the basics. Anything outside of that, you need to have freedom and autonomy. And if you are not sure what that is, I invite you to get involved with working with a therapist, a clinical specialist, someone who can start to help guide you through what autonomy is, what freedom of self is. Get involved with trauma-informed practices. This is what we teach. We teach body awareness. We teach so much about why it is important for you to be able to discern decision-making in your own life, how to really open up your third eye chakra, right? But we really have to balance all of the other chakras. We have to balance the root chakra, the sacral chakra, the solar plexus, the heart chakra, the throat chakra, before we can even get to trusting your intuition. So it's a lot of work that has to be done. This is the work that I do. Listen to Yoga Podcast, over 400 episodes. We're getting closer to 450 episodes over the last three years. So much of what is on Yoga Podcast is about this type of stuff, understanding different psychological theories, what brings us motivation, what heals us, why we make decisions that we make, different ways to understand yoga philosophy, what does it even mean to om, to practice om, what is that, what does it mean, I've answered that question in great detail on yoga podcast, I think it's important first of all to understand the why. I know a lot of children grew up around parents or caregivers that said, because I say so, when a child asks why. And then they go to class and the teacher is supposed to be there to answer the whys. But what tends to happen with many, many humans is that we are told, because I said so, or I don't know, or I'm not in the mood to tell you. Maybe they don't say that, but that is the message. And really, we should always ask why. Instead of asking yourself, do I have to um at the end of class with everyone else, which is absolutely not. You do not have to do anything you don't want to do. The next thing you should be asking yourself is why are they arming? And discover what that means. Ask questions at the end of the class. Go up to your teacher and say, what does um mean? And if your teacher cannot answer that, you need to find a new teacher. (laughs) No, but seriously, you need to understand the philosophy of yoga deeper. This is why I have yoga podcasts. This is why it's for free. This is why I'm hosting sacred circles. This is why I teach um, because I want you to understand the why. And then the third question to ask yourself is why do you feel the way you do? Why do you feel that you even have to ask yourself this question? And why do you feel uncomfortable? So Ask yourself questions. Ask other people questions. You are allowed to ask why. Ask why, ask why, ask why a hundred million times until you get the answer. Research. Be open to research. Listen to podcasts like Yoga Podcasts. Do the work. You have to do the work of your life. You have to show up. You cannot just show up and step on your mat and then an hour later Leave, roll up your mat and leave and tell yourself you practiced yoga. What did you do for those 60 minutes or 10 minutes or five minutes or an hour and a half? What did you do? Did you actually understand your why? Did you set your intention? 
This is why we do what we do. This is what makes yoga so special, so important. This is why I teach this stuff because it does teach us so much more about our, ourselves. And I honestly believe that the best work that we can do in our lifetime is understand our why. Without understanding that, you will continuously make the same decisions. Sometimes those decisions will have negative consequences, sometimes positive ones over and again. And without understanding the meaning and purpose of who you are, you're unable to teach, motivate, mentor others and live out your true destiny. All right. So I am going to end this chat for yoga podcast listeners here now. Thank you so much for listening to my sacred space live chat Zoom practitioners. We are going to continue on as we are now going to start to talk about this week's lesson and subject for another, looks like we have another 30 or so minutes as our group continues on past the live Q&A. This was really fun, all of you. Thank you so much for allowing me to now bring this to Yoga Podcast. All right. Namaste, Yoga Podcast listeners. Go in peace. I love you guys. Thanks for being here. Namaste. I am so honored that you are listening to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga Podcast. Never miss an episode. Download the free app on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. Please also rate the show with five stars. I would greatly appreciate that. Visit me on my website at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. I include free yoga sequences every single month. You can leave a comment or message me and we can connect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful personal practice. Namaste. Namaste.